situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Jeremy's Bob Pro Honor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. What's going on, everybody? A uh, couple quick things I'm going to jump into before we get into the uh, important stuff that I want to talk about today on the Past Ball Show. Um, we'll start with Ime Odoka, coach of the Boston Celtics, uh, had whatever, an extramarital affair with a staff member. Doesn't seem like it should be a, a terminable offense. Um, if you look at the details, did he force this upon a woman? Was it done even though uh, sex was consensual, and you could talk about how uh, people meet their future life partners uh, through their own jobs. I think there's a lot of back and forth you could say about it. I just want to keep it quick. I mean, he, you can't you can't have something like that when you're the representation of a sports franchise. And if it was a control issue, that's what I could see that would validate the suspension for a year and his eventual dismissal from the team. So that's that. Tua Tungalavoa. That weird injury as he's stumbling in the middle of the field and they didn't take him off for concussion protocol leading into the Thursday night game where, of course, he has the you know, the dislocation of the fingers and another head injury. Um, you know, football has done a very good job of trying to be on top of head injuries, concussions, obviously the lawsuits for all the former players that are out there killing themselves and have the CTE that is so unbearable for them to even live anymore. Uh, I think the NFL has been on top of this. And, you know, people are always going to knock, hey, every time uh, a player is hurt is the league. Does the league care enough about that person individually? And in the end, a player is just one in a thousand when it comes to the brand. The brand of the NFL is that strong that a player's injury is not going to be enough for them to completely change their weight. So I look at I look at Tua and I look at the way he was looked at and viewed by the public after that injury and the public by, you know, thousands and thousands of people who are not doctors. Don't understand a damn thing about medical practice whatsoever. And they're going to be out there trying to tell uh, the Miami Dolphins or the NFL what they should do and how they should handle Tua. And it's unfortunate he's going through regular concussion protocol. Uh, you hope he gets back on the field soon. And to me, I don't think this is much of an issue. The NFL is going to do everything it's can, it can to protect its own brand. So it's not going to want to have the image that players are not getting routinely checked. But everybody and their mother wants to throw an opinion in there. Just let the league do its job. Players are going to get hurt. You're going to see things on video that are going to bother you. That's going to happen till the end of time. What I'm worried about is Tua throwing a long ball. I mean, watching him in a couple throws early in the game before he got hurt, he wasn't able to throw the deep ball. You got Tyree Kill, you got Jalen Waddell, you got an offensive team there in Miami that should be able to put up points, should be able to compete with the likes of the Buffalo Bills, who they they beat in the prior week, and should be a legitimate postseason team. Can Tua throw the ball deep enough? Can they incorporate enough 
of the talent that they have in their offense with Hill, with Waddle, with Gusecki, with the couple running backs they have, Mostert and Edmonds. Are, can they move the ball around enough to move to get downfield? And is Tua's arm strong enough? I don't care if you switched him to make him look like a right-hand throwing quarterback. He was under-throwing the ball considerably in a game against the Bengals. That would be my number one concern. Have him healthy on the field, no brain injury, no concussion, and after that, can he throw the ball deep? Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, was uh, recently canceled and should have been. Yeah, to make the comments that he did over the course of a series of years. The most important part I see is that he acknowledged that what he did was, you know, unacceptable and decided on his own, probably after the poll of some sponsors, some sponsors saying, hey, I'm not going to sponsor a team that's got a guy that, that's owned by a guy that talks like that. In the end, it's determined that it's the right thing for Mr. Sarver to do than to, to continue to be the owner in the NBA, even after a suspension, um, even after the investigation was done and released to the public and determined that you know, what he said was very harmful. And what he said was unacceptable, and he used language which we should, we should not use. And certainly for anybody in a position of authority, should not use. That all being said, does Robert Sarver deserve a life sentence? Does he deserve to have to sell the, the Phoenix Suns and the franchise in the WNBA? No, I don't think it should be demanded that he had to. And I don't think the NBA did anything wrong by suspending him for just a year. He admitted he was wrong. It results in sponsors being pulled from the franchise. And it made it very difficult for a year from now for Robert Sarver to return to a work environment that he has been proven to make toxic. But once again, we talk about racism racist language and we tend to compare it to murder inadvertently it's not like we we go out there and we say it's like murder but society has changed and i remember an expression that i learned when i was a little kid was sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me words are hurtful more than anything now and you can make a case that a word is more harmful now in the year of 2022 than any sort of act of physical violence. Whether it's assault, whether it's rape, whether it's assault with a deadly weapon, whether it's manslaughter, whether it's murder, whether it's first degree murder. Words are worse than that. And you might think it sounds silly, but we treat in society now that if somebody makes a comment that is racist, if somebody makes a comment that is promoting uh, sexual harassment or sexual violence or rape, then that is worse than murder. And I'll prove to you why. You have an example of people in the prominent life, whether it's a, an athlete, an actor, somebody that is found guilty of murder or conspiracy to murder. They go to prison. They're not given a life sentence. They're able to serve their time. And they come back. And they're able to acclimate themselves into regular life. 
in more cases, to get a job and to be able to do the same thing that they're doing. Robert Sarver, as part of his cancellation process, four words, is unlikely to be able to own another professional sports team. And you could say, good, he shouldn't have said what he said. But we're equating what Robert Sarver did as being worse than murder. I'm going to bring up a former athlete that was guilty of murder, served time for murder, and came back and played professional football again like nothing happened. Michael Vick was found guilty in a, you know the dog ring for dog fighting, the murder of however many dogs that he was responsible for killing. Served his time and became a star quarterback in the National Football League again like nothing happened. An example that racist language is worse than murder. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They might not hurt you, but you're more responsible for words now in the year of 2022 than you are with actual committing acts of violence. I don't agree with it, but it's the damn truth. Two baseball things I wanted to get into today. And very seldom do you talk about the death of a former player. A longtime player, but not a star. Not a Hall of Famer. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he might have made the All-Star team once over the course of his career. But... Former Yankees outfielder Hector Lopez passed away at the age of 93. And he had a good career, 11 years or so, with the Kansas City Athletics and the New York Yankees. Won a couple World Series championships with the Yankees in 60 and 61. Was really the third member of the prominent outfield that included legends like Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. And we talk about Roger Maris in the year of 1961, hitting 61 home runs. I'm going to try to go a show without talking about the fact that 73 is the all-time home run record. It's just a fact. If you don't like it because it hurts your feelings, I don't know what to tell you. Congratulations to Aaron Judge, who's got 61 at the moment of this broadcast. Hopefully before the season's over, hits 62 or whatever. But until he hits, 60, until he hits 74... He's not going to be the all-time single-season home run record. That's neither here nor there. Hector Lopez played left field when Mickey Mantle was in center, and Roger Maris was in right prior to that, played for the Kansas City Athletics. And we don't talk a lot about baseball history and then the damnness and the unfair and unsound things that happened in baseball history. When it comes to steroids, we understand that that's something that John Q. Baseball fan doesn't enjoy. John Q. Baseball fan looks at the use of steroids in baseball and says, oh my God, what a black eye on a sport that has such a great history. And I counter that by saying baseball did not have such a great history. In fact, it had a devious history going back to the 19th century. But I'm not here to talk about the 19th century right now and early baseball. Early baseball when uh, your average worker, the average man that was going out there to work, was being compensated to rebuild America. That was your average American at that time. And the deviants, those who didn't want to be the average American, 
you know, sat there, drank their homemade bourbon on the bench while they played this kid game called baseball. And that's just a fact. But I digress once again. In the 1950s, the A's had an owner who probably was the first prime example of a conflict of interest when it came to baseball. And I'm sure there was many before and many after, but Connie Mack, who was the great manager of the Philadelphia Athletics, also became Connie Mack, the owner of the Philadelphia Athletics. And that right off the bat became a conflict of interest because there's no way for the betterment and for the best interest of the Philadelphia Athletics should Connie Mack have been managing the team until he was 88 years old, which happened. He managed all the way through the 1950 season. The goal for him was to manage 50 consecutive seasons with one team, something that has never been done before and will never be done again. Now, it was maybe selfish on his part, which I could give him that, but it was something that he was able to control because he was not only the manager, but he was his own boss, the owner of the Philadelphia Athletics. How does this relate to what I'm talking about when it comes to Hector Lopez? Well, the Philadelphia Athletics were bought, finally, and sold by Connie Mack to a guy by the name of Arnold Johnson. Arnold Johnson's intent was to move the Philadelphia Athletics to Kansas City, where he had access to a Yankees minor league stadium, and was also, at the time, Arnold Johnson was, the owner of Yankee Stadium. So the Yankees, one of the things that they've done is they've manipulated the league to have the best players, to have the best opportunity to win championships like they did in, what, the 1970s? You could say after developing a core, they did to control the dominance that they had in the late 90s and the 2000s. But one of the things that benefited the Yankees from you know, the late 1950s up through the 1960s was their use of another Major League Baseball team as a farm club. And that's what happened. The Kansas City Athletics, which they became after they moved from Philadelphia to Kansas City, were essentially a farm club of the New York Yankees. Helped the team restock its roster by bringing up by moving players that may have been a little too young to star on the Yankees at a certain moment. You give them a little more time, have them play in Kansas City in another Major League Baseball city, and then come up and then star for the Yankees when they were ready. Or they were basically cherry-picking the roster of the Kansas City Athletics, which included the acquisition of Maris, included the acquisition of Pedro Lopez, which is unfortunate. But, you know, Lopez's career, I'm sorry, Hector Lopez, you know, the late Hector Lopez, and he had a good career with the Yankees because he was property of the Kansas City Athletics who were technically owned by the New York Yankees. So you say, well, why couldn't other teams do this? Why couldn't other teams partner with other teams in baseball? And maybe if there's somebody that had enough strength to be able to do it, maybe it was a Boston, maybe it was a Detroit, uh, maybe you could have had a little more competition if you were the Yankees. But I look back at this, and I think it's one of the scars, one of the black guys on the sport, 
and one that doesn't get discussed enough. And I feel the need to bring it up on this show, to have it on the record, to exist out there in the world of podcast and YouTube till the end of time. That the Yankees own the Kansas City Athletics, and because of that, they were able to cherry-pick their roster, got themselves guys like Hector Lopez and Roger Maris and Ralph Terry and many others. And some players... You know, they got Don, you know, they, they traded Don Larson off of it. So they moved, you know, guys like Johnny Cooks, players that they didn't value as much anymore. And they took those players off of the roster, sent them to another Major League Baseball team where they were able to play, where they were able to be major leaguers. And then they got the best players of the Kansas City Athletics. And that's why eventually you move on from Arnold Johnson who never should have been allowed to be a Major League Baseball owner in the first place, unless he was owning the Yankees. If he wanted to own the Yankees, that would have been perfectly fine. He could have done whatever he wanted. Because you know what? If he was the owner of the Yankees, nobody in Major League Baseball would have allowed him to essentially be the owner of another Major League Baseball franchise too. And certainly wouldn't have allowed Arnold Johnson to use the Kansas City Athletics as a farm club for the New York Yankees. So... Eventually, Charlie Finley, another controversial owner in baseball history, but one who I personally believe was good for the sport, owned the Kansas City Athletics, moved them to Oakland, rebranded them, changed their colors and everything, and decided that he was going to develop his own farm system with the players that he had already brought in and planned to bring in over time. And guys like Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter, and Raleigh Fingers, and Burke Campanaris, and Joe Rudy, and Billy North, and Sal Bando, and Gene Tennis, and Blue Moon Odom, Vita Blue. All these solid players came together and formed what really could have been one of the better dynasties in baseball history in the 1970s. They won three straight World Series championships, of course, the Yankees did it again in 98 to 2000. The team has not done it since. The team could have been stronger if it wasn't for the Peter Seitz decision of 1975, which I've pointed out many points and times on this program. Changed baseball history, basically allowed for the beginning of free agency. And Charlie Finley, once again ahead of the time, was right, as I've pointed out on a number of occasions, suggested that, hey, if you want free agency, all right, let every player in baseball be a free agent. You'll have a major reconstruction of teams' rosters over the course of a couple years. But what ended up happening would not have happened. The price of players being so much because free agency is only for a couple at a time. The trickling out of players a little this year, a little next year, a little the year after, led to the issues when it came to supply and demand and was responsible for the increase in player salaries, which sadly ran Charlie Finley out of the sport. Number one, ran Charlie Finley out of the sport, but number two, ended the dynasty of a great and well-put-together Oakland athletic team in the 1970s. Now listen, Finley was far from one to be, uh, you know, absolved from scandal. You know, his take on Mike Andrews, who made a couple errors 
1973 World Series, wanted him to go on a phantom injured list, and that ends up leading uh, to the dismissal of Dick Williams, probably, and I'd have to go back in baseball history to check it, but was probably the only manager to be fired after winning back-to-back World Series. I know Johnny Keene was fired in 64 after the Cardinals won the whole thing. But you look at, you know, Dick Williams ends up having a great career. He's in the Hall of Fame. One of the better managers that we've seen in our last 50 years or so in baseball. Wins two straight World Series championships and is out. So, like I said, we're not looking at Charlie Finley as this perfect angel. Because he's not. But he was ahead on a couple things. Acknowledge what was happening in Kansas City was disgusting. Almost to a point where they had to move that franchise out of there. Their reputation for being just um, a team that was being cherry-picked by the Yankees. They needed a new identity. He moved them to the West Coast and to Oakland. He changed the colors to green and yellow. And with that became a winning tradition that was only taken away from him by free agency. And I talk about conflict of interest as really being a an important focal point of the show today. Connie Mack and the conflict of interest that existed with him when he was both the owner and the manager of the of the Philadelphia Athletics wasn't good for baseball and probably ruined the reputation of one of the better managers in baseball history. How many managers in baseball history have won five or more World Series championships? I'm thinking there's only three. I'm thinking there's him. I think there's uh, Joe McCarthy. There's Casey Stengel. I think there's a handful that have won four. And I'll have to think about this later. If for some reason there's somebody else that's won uh, five that I'm not thinking about. You know, Tony La Russa won three. Joe Torre won four, right? You know, tell me somebody that's won five. Connie Mack for winning five should be looked at as one of the greatest managers in the history of baseball. But he decided that he wanted to he wanted to own the team as well, and with that conflict of interest, allowed him to manage from the years of 1934 to 1946. And you wonder why, John, are you bringing up a random 13-year stretch in Major League Baseball history? Well, he his decision was to break down the really good team that won the World Series in 29 and 30, lost in the series to the Cardinals in 31. And guys like Jimmy Fox and Mickey Cochran and star players like that were moved on for lesser talent. And so the Athletics didn't have to pay him. And the Athletics went into a very bad stretch in history where they had 13 consecutive losing seasons. And imagine, imagine, manage a manager, (laughs) let me say this again and hopefully I'll get it correct. Imagine a manager in baseball right now having a chance, shot, an opportunity to manage 13 consecutive losing seasons for one team and still have a job. And we know the only reason that Connie Mack had a job was because he was also the owner. And by that time, was getting close to 50 seasons as a Major League Baseball manager, which was something that was his goal. The team, because of the post-war kind of uncertainty that existed through baseball, competition from the Pacific Coast League and the International Leagues, and potentially another third Major League coming into the mix, 
Philadelphia Athletics had three consecutive winning seasons from 1947 to 1949. In 1950, his last season, they lost 100 games, and he was out. And we look back and we say, Connie Mack, pioneer. Connie Mack, all-time great. Nobody's managed more games, won more games, lost more games. Five World Series championships as a manager. But I, I can't look at anybody at that time and say, did they do everything that they needed to do to make sure that the image of baseball was protected correctly? That blacks, minorities, were given the same type of respect that white players were at that time. And you know the answer. You know it wasn't. So Connie Mack, who spent way more than a half a century in baseball, didn't necessarily make it better. What was his thoughts when he was asked about black players, Latin players, players that didn't look like him, didn't have the Irish heritage that he had, weren't white Americans? And you add that to the fact that he kind of commandeered his own stance from a, a, a strong standpoint, I'm, I'm putting a strong hold on it, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm the owner. I'm going to own this team and manage it for 50 years. Was Connie Mack necessarily a good guy? You know, he didn't like profanity. He didn't like players that used profanity. He expected people to act like gentlemen. All right, well, that's all, all good. Branch Rickey battled all of racism and took it all on at one time. And even though he may have ignored it from time to time, even though his intention to get a black player on his team was just as much for winning as it was for doing the right thing, he still stood up. Connie Mack could have stood up too, and he never chose to. So I look back at Connie Mack and my question for a guy that managed 50 years in Major League Baseball only did it because he was the owner only did it because he had that power and that conflict of interest to be able to own the athletics. And then the irony of the whole thing is he passes it on to somebody else that even has more of a conflict of interest than he had. A person that owned Yankee Stadium, owned the Yankees minor league stadium in Kansas City, where he ended up moving to Philadelphia Athletics too, used the Kansas City Athletics as a farm club to help the New York Yankees, who he was also working for. And you wonder why I look at Charlie Finley as a hero and as a man that could be commended for saving the Athletics franchise. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're going to mess around with some ideas for the format of the show. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're doing, what, what, a show a month now? Maybe we'll get back to doing a show a week. If I get back into a rhythm here in uh, John Pielli Studios here at johnpielli.com, maybe maybe I'll do some more shows at night. We'll see. You know, if you anything that you want to hear or see, throw my way. You can text me at 732-513-5927. Email me at jrpielli at gmail.com. At me at Twitter, John underscore Pielli. Search me anywhere through social media. John Pielli, J-O-H-N, P-I-E-L-L-I. We'll be back with you whenever. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many left.
said about books, my apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>